Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet former NFL player Marcellus Wiley, co-founder of MBAs Across America, Casey Gerald, and staff writer for The New Yorker, Bill Buford. Football, the American and British variety, plays an important role in each of these authors' lives. Speaking from their personal experiences, they share musings, lessons, and expertise that may make you think about how sports and society's expectations have affected your own life. And hear why narrating is surprisingly more difficult than a triple-day training camp practice. Enjoy. Hi, this is Marcellus Wiley. What inspired me to write this book? It took forever. I was never a guy who wanted to write a typical football memoir about third and goal and a cloud of dust and glory and riding off in the sunset with a Super Bowl championship. Never had a Super Bowl championship, so that hurt. But I was a guy who wanted to tell my story through sports to make it relatable to all those who weren't blessed to play pro sports, but still had their own journeys that they could relate to mine. I was inspired finally to write my book once I realized that the acceptance of my reality as a family man, as a husband, as a father, as a broadcaster, as a former player, all those things filled my tank, made me feel like I was that Super Bowl champion, made me feel like I had accomplished something in this world. Who I was as a good citizen and as a family man was more than enough to inspire others. I decided to write a book. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audiobook in one word, it'd be the longest word ever. The staff was amazing. Shout out to everyone who made this happen. But boy, was it a bear. It was like a triple-day training camp practice. It's not just that you're reading words. It's that you're trying to create setting and trying to create scenes and emotional responses. So it felt like every single word that I was reading had 12 different ways I could present it to the listener. I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm a very goodest. <laughs> and I wanted to do a very good job at it. So it felt like a bear because my mind was racing so many different ways to present the material. I realized I had trouble pronouncing thousands of words. This was hilarious. THs after you get cotton mouth. Oh my God. I couldn't say the, thou, anything. Other than that, most of the words I actually knew how to pronounce, even if I mispronounced it. Like saline. I think I said saline because I'm thinking about nothing. Why? Because I'm fatigued. I don't know. But most words I knew how to pronounce, I just kept having cotton mouth and my tongue got heavier than the offensive lineman. So that was the toughest part. I'm most excited about how the narration brought the story to life. I understand it could go wrong fast, but instead of just telling my story and giving you framework, I wanted to give you crayons and colors and markers to fill it in. So through my voice, I tried to give my story life. So I'm really excited how people respond to not only my story, but the energy that I put behind it. If I wasn't going to record my audiobook, I would cast Andre 3000 from Outcast, 
One, because I just think he's so smart, a genius. He gets it. Amazing voice. And he's my favorite rapper. So <laughs> I'm sure he would be good with wordplay. I don't know if Andre would have did it, but if I kept begging, maybe he would have. But Andre 3000 by far would have killed my story. The last great audiobook I listened to was by Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Oh, my God. Mind-blowing. Talking to his teenage son about the world that he grew up in and the world that his son should and could anticipate seeing based off of his experiences and his growing wisdom and talking to the adolescent version of himself, his son. Oh, it hit me right in the heart. Took me right to not only my experiences I'm going through now, but what I have to see going forward with my discussions with my son and daughter. And the greatest part about the audiobook was one, the actual author was the reader, but two, how his story paralleled my story from such a far different place. That was amazing, not only in different times, but different locales. So that book, whew, by far my favorite ever. This is Casey Gerald. If I had to describe recording this audiobook in one word, it would be sublime. I began writing this book simply because I knew something was wrong with me. I had achieved by my late 20s about everything a kid is supposed to achieve in this society, uh, but I was very cracked up. I uh, wouldn't say I was necessarily having a nervous breakdown, but I wasn't too far off, and I was awful sad either way. What's worse, a lot of my friends were cracked up, and the world was cracked up too. This was around 2016. So I set out initially just to trace the cracks with words. Before I finished, one of those friends, a kid who was like a little brother to me who I'd helped recruit to Yale and who had gone on a similar sort of Horatio Alger journey, took his own life. And shortly after that, he came to me in a dream. And he said, Casey, you know, we did a lot of things that we wouldn't advise anybody we loved to do. And then I woke up. But I knew exactly what he meant. I knew in a lot of ways that the way we're taught to live in this country is a dead end. And I knew that if you look at it from the right angle, a boy or a girl picking him or herself up by the bootstraps looks just like a suicide. I knew that from my own personal experience and from the experience of many people I knew and loved. So my job with this book became to make plain what those things were, to expose sort of the underbelly of the American dream and to counter as best I could the ways we're taught to live, which are actually, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, but my experience, and I try to make that as clinical and objective and clear as possible in the book, to counter the ways that we're taught to live. And hopefully, as I was doing that, and definitely by the end, to find for myself and share with others a way, a, a path to healing. Hopefully, I've done as much of that as I can through this book. Narrating my book was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Just the sheer stamina that it took to go from 10 to 4 or 5 or 6 every day and try to keep your voice intact and all these other things. I was very fortunate to have a director that became kind of like a, a miracle worker of sorts, 
keeping my voice going. She made this very special tea. You know, I'd have a little meltdown every couple hours, and she'd give me life advice. So that was very helpful and really got me through what was, in some ways, a somewhat grueling exercise. What was most surprising, I think, was that, you know, I spent almost two years writing this book. I wrote every word by hand, you know, edited every day, sometimes twice a day, and went back and edited galleys, you know, a couple times. And I thought I had squeezed about every ounce of meaning out of the thing. And so what I think I'm most grateful for in terms of the process of recording, especially recording collaboratively with somebody else, was finding things in the book that I didn't even know were there, that in some ways it required this sort of strangely physical collaborative journey, which is not exactly what you think about when you think about writing a book, to unearth this extra stuff in the book that hopefully I can pass along to readers in the audio book if they don't find it on their own, which they probably will, and even more. It would take me all year to expound on the words and phrases that I had trouble pronouncing. I mean, partially because there seems to be some war on regional accents and dialects in the publishing world and in the country writ large. But instead of sort of, you know, lobbing grenades at the powers that be, I will take the blame for being surprisingly incompetent at pronouncing Corinth. I think that's the word. Yeah, I was always raised to think it was the church at Corinth. I was docked multiple times for pronouncing it that way, and then I was taken through a gulag of sorts to learn how to pronounce Corinth, the church at Corinth. Hopefully I can hold on to that. The thing I'm proudest of in this narration and this whole experience is growth, actually. I think sitting here five days into this or at the end of a five-day experience, I really do feel in a strange way that I'm a somewhat different person than I was when I started this. And throughout the whole process of writing this book, and a lot of people have asked me afterwards, you know, tell me something, one thing that you want me to know about this book. And I always say, my whole intention is for you to be a different person when you finish the book than when you started it. Now, maybe that may not always happen, but I really did try to put that intention in every word in the written book. And I think in a strange way, that happened to me in reading the book, performing the book, or going on this journey with the book, with my voice and with my director. There were a lot of moments I could talk about, but there's one in particular and a chapter and a section about symbols that hopefully the reader will get to and hopefully I didn't just spoil. And I'd had a somewhat major meltdown, actually, because something had happened in the printing of the book that I felt had sort of destroyed my intention <laughs> for the book itself. And so instead of recording for an hour, my director and I basically had sort of a therapy session. And it led to a completely different recording of the book than I had intended or ever imagined, but a recording that was actually much richer in terms of the illumination of the text itself and my original intent. And it was something that really pushed me to grow. And so I'm proudest of that, which, you know, I'm not always, maybe no writer or no artist is ever really excited about changing direction when they felt very strongly about something. But this week in the studio really pushed me to do that. 
And I think in some ways this is a book that really pushes people ultimately and chapter by chapter to change directions, even if it's just a sort of mental or spiritual direction, if not a physical direction, which hopefully it is also. So I'm proudest of that and most grateful for it also. If I could not narrate my book, I would want Frank Ocean not to narrate it, but to turn it into an album and perform it once live with no recording. Anybody who was there would have the experience of their lives, and anybody who was not would just have to hear about it forever. Hello, my name is Bill Buford, and I'm the author of Among the Thugs, a book that I wrote some time ago. I finished it in 1990, 1991, when I was living in England and when a lot of the English didn't really want to know the story that I was telling, that every Saturday, English lads would go tearing through the country breaking things, fighting, hurting themselves, sometimes killing each other. And it was a very, very big embarrassment to the game of football. I was at the time the editor of a literary magazine, and I tried to get people to write the story for me, and no one would do it. So I ended up writing the story because I wanted to know what the story was. I would add one P.S. to this whole thing, which is I'm reading a text that I haven't looked at for 15, 18 years. And the thing that surprised me most actually surprisingly continues to be topical, which was the Hillsborough disaster, as it's called. And it's topical because it was only hmm, recently, 2016, that one of the longest legal proceedings in British history finally reached a verdict, which was an inquest into the Hillsborough deaths, which the police continued to blame on the supporters, the fans, for their drunkenness and their violence. And the families of the 96 people killed, which included three pairs of brothers, a pair of sisters, and a father and son, and ages from 10 to 65, were determined to get the justice system to recognize that these deaths were the fault and the neglect of the stadium and the police. Somehow I got a copy of the police videos that they used, and these were the same videos that were used in the Hillsborough inquest, and it was therefore not something that had been seen by the public at the time, and I found it so moving to read the text, to recounting what was depicted in those videos that the whole thing and the whole wastefulness and the loss came back very vividly. If I had to describe what it was like to record my audio book in one word, well, I'd probably say concentration. I think it was Don DeLillo who said that Writing is a concentrated form of thinking, and reading your writing is a concentrated form in having written. It's an intense exercise in your own thoughts. What made this one peculiar is that I was reading something that I hadn't looked at for 17 years. And I was therefore reading the thoughts, my concentrated thinking, 
of a younger man, a different person. And it's a different kind of experience. I'm revisiting things that troubled me some time ago, and I find myself troubled by them again. Well, it turns out I have a lot of trouble pronouncing the English word for potato chips, which is crisps. I also have trouble saying desks, but crisps is especially difficult. I'm excited, frankly, that this book has carried on living and that it continues to be read and that it appears to have captured something about the very unconventional experience of being in a crowd, the appeals of the crowd, and especially a crowd that is prepared to be violent. I think my dream narrator would probably be Gary Oldman with a soundtrack by the Sex Pistols and David Byrne. Gary Oldman actually interviewed me for an anniversary television program of A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange is written by Anthony Burgess, and it's an invocation of the confusion of people who get excited by violence. But Anthony Burgess wrote a fiction, and this one was real. My greatest audio book was the one Kenneth Branagh recorded of Samuel Pepys' diaries. Samuel Pepys' diaries are a great document of life in England in the 17th century, and they are interminable. And it is inconceivable that Kenneth Branagh, he didn't do the whole thing, it was compressed, but that he would put in the hours and hours to record these diaries. And I thought the recording, like the diaries, were completely brilliant. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.